Welcome back to the 10 Blocks Podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Joining me on today's show is the writer Dave Seminara. Though he lives in Florida, Dave hails originally from Buffalo, New York, and he's contributed a number of pieces to City Journal, most recently about the Buffalo mayoral election, which was very surprising. Uh, today, we'll dive into that result and what it means for the Queen City more broadly. So, Dave, thanks very much for coming on 10 Blocks. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, so you wrote a piece for us uh, some months ago after uh, the socialist India Walton captured the Democratic nomination for the mayor of Buffalo. Uh, your piece at that time ran through her surprisingly checkered background, which included uh, a conviction for food stamp fraud and her truly dreadful platform, which included a moratorium on charter schools, uh, defunding the police, uh, making Buffalo a sanctuary city, a, a sort of whole series of very, very far left positions. Uh, Walton's success, you wrote, should be a wake-up call for centrist Democrats. And it certainly turned out to be exactly that. After she won the nomination, uh, the incumbent mayor, uh, uh, Byron Brown, uh, jumped in the race as, as an independent. And he appears to have pulled off uh, something that's very, very rare in American politics, which is a writing campaign to retain his position. So what happened between July... Uh, and election day, and how did Brown manage to pull this off? Yeah, those are all good questions. So India won the primary with a total of about 11,000 votes, right? So you had something like 20% turnout, which is very low, obviously. So I think what we found out is a number of things. First of all, it's not that hard to get 11,000 votes, especially if you, you know, if you have a progressive uh, platform and you know you're fairly well known as she is in the city, um, and you're you're offering to sort of give away a lot of things. You can create some constituency groups there to get eleven thousand votes to win a primary, but it's much more difficult to appeal to that broader group of people who show up, um, you know, in a general election. So I think that was part of the problem: is that you know you had many more people turning out to vote, you know, obviously on election day in November than than for the primary. So that worked against her. But I think more prominently is that it gave um, everyone a few months to really get to know India Walton because, you know, as I said, she was relatively well known, but the media hadn't really dug into her story very much, really not at all. There were very few um, sort of investigative pieces about her background during the primary because I don't think anyone really thought she was going to win. And that's including the Brown campaign, which, you know, I don't know who, you know, who, who ran the Brown campaign. But whoever it was, you know, was absolutely derelict during the primary because where was the opposition research? Um, they really didn't find out a lot of the things about her that they really should have been able to find out. Like, you know, I, there's you know, if you read the articles that I wrote for City Journal, there's many examples of, of things that came out about her. But I'll just give just a couple of examples. Like, for example, um, when she was working at a nurse at Buffalo Children's Hospital about six years ago, I believe. She was arrested for trying to uh, for threatening to break one of her coworkers' legs and telling her, yeah, "I'm going to take you out." Um, she was living with a convicted uh, uh, drug dealer and a very serious convicted drug dealer, who I believe did uh, two stints in prison of several years. And there were complaints from neighbors that were investigated by police that he was continuing to deal drugs out of the house that she lived in. And, I, and we're not talking about things that were 10, 20, 30 years ago. We're talking about, I believe, it was in 2018. So, and none of this came out during, you know, prior to the primary. 
um, as well as a number of other uh, little brushes with the law and even little embarrassing things like I believe it was just three weeks before the election. She had her car towed and uh, for more than a thousand dollars in unpaid parking tickets. And, you know, she tweeted, they towed my damn car. And she had a, you know, a conspiracy theory that, you know, that Brown was targeting her, you know, that, that Brown had somehow, you know, sick the parking goons on her. Um, there was also a debate. So Brown refused to debate her during the primary, but then he decided to do so. And there was a debate that occurred, I believe it was about one week prior to the, um, prior to the election. And I watched that and, um, you know, it, it should, it could or should have been favorable for her because they actually allowed high school students, um, from St. Joe's, which was the rival high school that I went to. I went to a uh, a school in the city called Canisius and St. The two big Catholic schools that are rivals in uh, Buffalo are Canisius and St. Joe's. And they allowed St. Joe's students to ask the questions. And even the, the, the debate was actually sponsored by an Orwellian sounding uh, group of, in the school called the, I believe it was called the equity and justice club <laughs> sponsored the debate. And they allowed students to ask questions, almost all of which were softballs, but even on the softball questions, I felt like she didn't handle them very confidently. And she was really under attack throughout the entire debate. So she did not have a good debate performance. A lot of negative things came out about her in the news. And Brown finally woke up and realized, wow, I could lose this job that I've held for 16 years. And I think he decided that he really wanted it badly. He sort of woke up. He mobilized the business community of the city, started donating a lot of money to his campaign. And a lot of people in the city of Buffalo who did not bother to vote in the primary were like, wait a second. Whoa, are you serious? We could have a um, a socialist as mayor here. And I think that, you know, a lot of people just sort of woke up and, and prevented that from happening. But how did he pull off the write-in aspect of this? Just mm -hmm. getting people to do that uh, isn't easy. Uh, was there any particular methods they used to, uh, to rally support? Yeah, they gave out thousands of actually rubber stamps with his name on it. And they, you know, they, he, he, he actually succeeded in raising quite a bit of money um, as I said, from the business community, even from some Republicans. And I don't know whether, uh, you know, India says that he was raising money from Trumpers and, you know, Trump, Trump people, which I think is a stretch, to be honest with you. But he did raise money from, you know, from from people on the right. No question about that. in, in the business community he had plenty of money to distribute these rubber stamps, um, which I think was a very good idea. And they did quite a bit of advertising too, really instructing people of where to even look on the ballot to do a write-in because you had to sort of look way down on the ballot and off to the right to even figure out where to do that. So I think he did a pretty good, pretty good job of, uh, you know, of, of staging this uh, comeback from the dead. And, it, you know, as I said, I think in one of the pieces, it could be, it might be a model for other, for other candidates who, who get primaried, right? And who think, wait a second, there was low turnout. Maybe I can still do this on write-in. I, I didn't think he, I didn't think he'd be able to do it. I honestly didn't. Um, but, well, but there you, you, go. you know, on that question, it's it's certainly the case that the, uh, you know, the Buffalo race um, drew a lot of national and state attention from Democrats, and they were they were split on it. So you they had were. AOC really backing Walton, uh, then Chuck Schumer through through his support her way as well. But the governor, um, or the, the acting governor at the time, uh, uh, Governor Hochul, stayed out of the race, and, and the state party apparatus basically hemmed and hawed about it. So, you know, say, say a bit more about that. Do you really think this could be perhaps a cautionary tale for moderates uh, worried about 
you know, the party moving t too far left? Is this, as you say, maybe a way uh, to to challenge uh, low turnout election outcomes that perhaps reward uh, too much power to the far left? I think so. I mean, I think this is actually a really important race that occurred. I mean, generally, uh, Buffalo, unless we're talking about the bills, doesn't get a lot of media attention. But I think this race sort of reflected the tension within the Democratic Party, the, the war that's going on within the party right now between the, you know, the progressives and the moderates. And I think that this race sort of encapsulated all of that perfectly. I mean, AOC came to town. She came to Buffalo. I don't know whether, I don't know whether she's been there before or not, but she came in the final weekend of the campaign. I don't think that, I don't think that actually helped um, India, but she did come to campaign with her. And, you know, if you look at like India Walton's Twitter account, she's really, she's just, she's really a wannabe member of the squad. She wants to be, she wants to be part of that group desperately. Um, she wants, she's part of the Bernie Sanders squad group. And, you know, she is sort of, she was dubbed by MSNBC as the latest lefty star of, 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 I'm sorry, the latest rising star of lefty politics in the U.S. and such. The media fell in love with her. The New Yorker ran this gushing profile of her that read like a 10,000 word endorsement of her. Um, so I think, you know, I think she had a lot of momentum behind her. And I think the media wanted to tell this story of, yet yeah, here's another AOC. Here's another, you know, woman of color you know, primarying, uh, you know, a moderate or a centrist, but, but the narrative, it, it didn't, uh, it didn't play out that the, the way that they wanted to. And I think that if you listen to or look at Mayor Brown's um, victory speech, it was quite a good speech. It was quite a rousing speech. And I should say too, that I'm not a, I'm not a fan or a supporter of Mayor Brown at all, but I felt like what he said in the, um, in the victory speech was surprising and quite good. I mean, he really said that, that this should be a wake up call. And he said that, you know, for Democrats who want to, um, promote defunding the police, you know, sort of look what happened here. Here's what happens. And uh, that was, you know, some of the central platforms of her campaign. She wanted to not only defund police in a city with rising crime, but she also wanted to have a moratorium on charter schools, which are very popular in Buffalo and are quite needed in Buffalo, quite frankly, because the, uh, you know, the education system there, particularly the high schools in Buffalo, are a mess. And she received, India received the uh, endorsement of the teachers union in Buffalo largely based upon that opposition to charter schools. And that was another thing I think that he mentioned because, you know, national Democrats are also, you know, quite beholden to teachers unions and are also against charter schools, which remain popular in many parts of the country. Um, there, so there were so many national issues. Immigration also figured into the campaign as well, too, because India wanted to make Buffalo a, a sanctuary city. And for those who don't know this, uh, Buffalo has actually taken in many refugees over the last 10 or 20 years. And the reason for this is because it is a relatively low cost area for charities to resettle refugees in. So Buffalo has a lot of refugees. And in some ways, you know, they've done some, they have, you know, the media, of course, portrays only the positive side of it. I think some, you know, refugees and immigrant groups have actually revitalized some tough neighborhoods of Buffalo. But on the other hand, it's been extremely difficult for a, a public school system that's already failing to absorb all of these people from around the world who speak many different languages and such. So I think that um, particularly from the educational aspect, it has been super challenging for some of the, especially some of the high schools in Buffalo that were already failing and are way below state standards to take in people. We've got high schools in Buffalo where something like 50 or 60 languages are spoken, which sounds great until you try to actually figure out how to educate students you know, who speak 60 different languages. Not not an easy task by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, you 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 mentioned that you're not a fan of Brown. Uh, this no. will 
be his fifth consecutive term if the the election results hold in a city that often ranks among America's very poorest. What's your overall assessment of the job that he's done so far? And how is he generally perceived in the city? Will he emerge from the scare perhaps uh, a, a more moderate or, or sensible figure, or will his, uh, his past predict his future? Well, I certainly hope that he emerges as a, as a more moderate and sensible figure. I would, I would love to see him morph into a conservative Republican. That's not going to happen. Um, but I do think that perhaps you know, this contrast or, or getting primaried by someone with such sort of far left viewpoints, and then sort of you know resurrecting himself here, reinventing himself here. I think that you know that you know I guess maybe it's, it could be wishful thinking, but I would I would like to think that he becomes a bit more pragmatic from from here on out. And I think also that perhaps um, this will help him too, just not not take the job and the people of Buffalo and the support for granted, because I think after you win four terms and believe you're coasting for term number five, at a certain point you think you're mayor for life and can sort of do whatever you want. Um, so I do hope it is a bit of a wake up call for him. I'm not super optimistic that he's going to, um, you know, going to really do a tremendous job. How is he, you asked, how is he thought of, you know, in the area? I don't think he's, he's, uh, I think people are sick and tired of him to be quite honest with you. I mean, four terms of anyone really, it's quite a long time, isn't it? Um, so I do think that people wanted someone different, but they weren't going to go for a socialist, particularly one like India Walton who really had no no track record of ever running anything at least successfully she ran you know a nonprofit that was supposed to be building houses in the fruit belt which is a um a poor neighborhood on the east side of buffalo and you know as the mayor hit her on this very hard in the debates is there's no proof that she ever actually built a house <laughs> this charity which was supposed to be building houses she claimed that two houses were built during her tenure but as people looked into this a little further it turned out that it was really Habitat for Humanity that built those two houses, and she was just trying to claim credit for it. So, yeah, there you have it. I think the people are sick of Mayor Brown, but they they didn't want India Walton either. Thankfully, let's, uh, let, let's uh, just discuss for a minute uh, Buffalo itself. Uh, we published uh, an essay several years ago by uh, the urbanist Aaron Wren, which talked about how the story of modern Buffalo has been in in large part a story of obsolescence. So he wrote, Buffalo's competitiveness eroded because its unique advantages as a city fell victim to changes in transportation and technology. Uh, rail and highways rendered its position on the Lake Erie, uh, on Lake Erie less important. You had uh, globalization and right-to-work laws uh, that really produced a kind of deindustrialization in the area. Um, you know, I think the city's population these days is, is under 300,000. So about half the size it was during its peak. And uh, the public services in the city, you mentioned the schools, uh, but, but its other services as well are, are not great. Uh, but Buffalo, you know, I, I've spent time up there. It still boasts some significant assets. Uh, it's got a low cost of living. Uh, it's got a, a kind of a vibrant, if small, cultural scene. Uh, it's got some very nice architecture a real sense of place in history, a, a good sports team or more than one good sports team. Uh, so what's, you know, what's your overall view of the city's trajectory? Uh, what will it take for what is still the second largest city in New York to come back? Mm-hmm. Well, 
I am pretty bullish on Buffalo, believe it or not, even though, you know, and I say that as, you know, sitting here, you know, by my pool in Florida. So I can't exactly, you know, defend Buffalo 100 percent because I, I left there and I did not come back after after growing up there, although my parents still live there and one of my brothers still live there. So I go back often. But I will say that, you know, as someone who is an outsider, but one who returns multiple times each year, I find that it tends to get better every time I go back. Um, and so I think if you look at the, you know, you mentioned the population decline in Buffalo, that is undeniable, but you know, if you compare it to other industrialized cities in the area, it's actually done a bit better. Like I actually looked this up just a while ago this morning, cause I was curious. So I'm, I'm 49. And when I was born, Buffalo's population was about 462,000 and now it's 278,000. Sounds pretty bad, right? <laughs> but then you look at Cleveland, you know, so Cleveland and Buffalo both reached their peak of population around 1950. But Cleveland's population is almost a third of what it was at its peak. At its peak, it was 914,000. It's now 372, whereas Buffalo's peak was 580 and it's at 278. So, um, you know, within that context, you've seen, you know, this trend around the country of moves to the Sun Belt. So I think that, you know, there's a few different things that have gone on. During the time period that Buffalo has lost population, half of that population has gone to the suburbs. So if you look at where I grew up, the near, a near-end suburb of Buffalo called the town of Amherst. The population there, you know, when I grew up was something like, let's say, 60 or 70,000. Now it's 130,000. So within 50 years, the town of Amherst could be bigger than the city of Buffalo. So part of, what, part of it is people just fleeing the city to the suburbs. And then the other half of it is people going down here to Florida and to North Carolina and to, you know, sort of warmer climes. But I do think that you know, in recent, you know, in the last, let's say, 10 or 15 years, the city of Buffalo has improved. Um, you mentioned some of the assets that the city has. I mean, to me, it is a very distinctive place. You mentioned the architecture. It is, you know, the opposite of a cookie cutter city. It is, it is extremely interesting. You've got Frank Lloyd Wright houses there. You have super distinctive, you know, neighborhood, century old architecture. It is an, actually a very interesting place. There is an industrial landscape of the city that's di disused. You have all of these mills and such that are just south of the city that were, you know, once employed, you know, lots of people, the steel mills and the general mills factory and other granaries and things like that. And some of this, you know, sort of industrial landscape is being repurposed in really interesting ways. Like if you go back to Buffalo now, there are brew pubs in some of these. It was an area of the city called Silo City, which is very interesting. They've sort of repurposed some of these industrial buildings to be brew pubs, skating rinks. And in one case, there's one huge grain silo that you can actually repel up and down, you know, not in the winter time because it wouldn't be safe. Um, but in the summertime, you can repel up and down these things. So they, they've done some creative things to sort of, um, you know, try to revitalize the city. And from my perspective, every time I go back, it does seem to get a little bit better. However, that, you know, that said is that you're, you know, these long-term endemic problems of poverty um, and, and education, those are not things that are going to go away anytime soon. And it is supposedly the third poorest, you know, large city in the U.S. And so I don't think that, you know, those are problems that, you know, that any anyone is going to solve quickly in the city of Buffalo. But I do think that, you know, sort of the ideas that India was on to were essentially the exact opposite of what the city needs to be doing. It doesn't need to be shutting down charter schools. It needs to be finding ways to make the public schools more competitive and charter schools are one way of that. It certainly doesn't need to you know, be encouraging lawlessness and trying to be a magnet for illegal immigrants. And it certainly does not need to be defunding police if she wanted to. And uh, she also wanted to raise taxes too. So that was, that's another, yeah. 
so you know as you know as i said i think that um a lot of the deep problems that buffalo has aren't going away anytime soon but i think that the ideas that india had in order to solve those problems would have been really counterproductive and i think you would have seen really in rather than attracting new businesses which buffalo has done a relatively good job of doing in recent years you know there's a growing healthcare sector in the city and I think that um, you know electing a socialist mayor would would be a, essentially you know advertising the city to the whole rest of the country. Here's a good place for your for you not to move jobs. So I think that would have been disastrous for sort of the momentum the city had. Sure. Well, thanks very much for that uh, overview, Dave. And uh, uh, it's a very very interesting discussion, and it's an interesting piece. Uh, don't forget to check out uh, Dave Seminara's work on the City Journal website. We'll link to his author page in the description, and you'll you'll see uh, this Buffalo piece and some some earlier work he's done for us. You can also find City Journal on Twitter at City Journal and on Instagram at City Journal underscore mi. And if you like what you've heard on today's podcast, please give us a ratings on iTunes. So, Dave, thanks very much, and uh, we'll we'll have you back on again in the near future. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.